All right, let me just check. We are recording. Okay. Um, hello and welcome to the special edition of the Two Black to Nerdy podcast. I'm one of the hosts, Chris. Yeah, I'm your other host, Chris. And today we have a very, very special show for you guys. Um, we are going to have a show about the Black vote. We have a wonderful plant panel of um, Black guests on to talk about their various uh, political perspectives. And Chris will be moderating uh, the podcast today. I will be a panelist um, with all of our guests. And without further ado, Chris, you can go ahead and take it away. Yes. So right now we are less than a month away from the 2020 elections, both presidential, gubernatorial, Senate, and all the way down. Um, the black vote is something that is always talked about, especially getting closer to elections, because while it, the misconception that black people don't vote or they only vote one way is not true, and we care about more issues than just what is heavily talked about in the media. So this podcast is going to focus on issues that are uh, impacting Black lives and that are important to Black lives and that need to be talked about. So Black people are not a monolith. So we have a panel of uh, Black people that have a range of political ideologies and beliefs. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Thank you to all our panelists that are here with us today. And uh, first, I have a few litmus questions to sort of see where everybody is at. So we're going to get started with those. Uh, feel free to jump in. And for our listeners, I do have the almighty mute all button. So if things get too chaotic and everybody's talking over each other, the benefits of Zoom is I can make everybody go silent. All right. So we're going to start off with this one simple yes or no and if you want to explain uh or for any of these feel free to go ahead uh do you believe racism still exists in america i can kick us off oh go for it oh no Terrell, go for it you can you can you can start i will just say yes Absolutely. Yes. 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 Definitely. All right, unanimous. Uh, do you believe racism is still prevalent in America? Yes. For sure. Absolutely. Definitely. Prevalent yes. against the majority, no. All right. Do you believe the United States is a racist country? Coming from Idaho, yes. Yes. I would yes. say I couldn't give a yes or no. I couldn't give a yes or no answer on that. I'd have to explain more to fully you want, you, answer. You can go ahead and explain if you want to. 
So I guess I would say, is America a racist country? The nation was founded on racism. Racism still exists, but is the totality of America racist? Um, it's complicated. I think that we are in a fight. We're, we're striving, many people in the country, to better ourselves and move away from the foundation of racism upon which we started. So I don't think I could just simply say, yes, we're a racist country. Um, I think we have a foundation of racism and we are in a war or a battle. I don't, I, I feel like just saying we're a racist country to me feels like racism has won um, and has like total victory, but I think we're warring over it, if that makes sense. Anybody want to respond to that? Or is there a general acceptance of that answer? Um, I can give another answer. Um, it's not really necessarily a response to um, Christina's answer. Christina, right? Okay, yeah, it's not necessarily a response, but just my own answer. Um, I believe that, uh, like Christina said, America has a racist foundation. Um, and I think I also struggle with the idea that the totality of America's racist in the sense that it's it's tough figuring out how those of us that are American, but like estranged in our own house, as Du Bois says, fit into the landscape of what makes America because, you know, some people say black history is American history. And if black people are a part of the identity of America, then obviously we can't be racist. <laughs> um, but that's another conversation. But, um, but basically I think that America is a white supremacist country. And I think that, um, I think about racism more systemically than I think a lot of people think of racism as like a mentality or a personality or a, way that you interact with people, but I think of racism as a system and systematically, I would say without question that America is racist in the sense that most of the systems that govern our society are uh, running on racial capitalism that oppresses the poorest and the black and the closest to poor and the closest to black among us. All right, any, any other uh, any other responses? I think I'll I just have, add one small. Ooh, go for it, Sarah. I was just going to ask Christina um, about your comment saying that to say that America is racist would just would just say that racism has won. Um, could you expand a little bit on that? Sure. Well, I will say that this is the first time I've ever said that sentence before. <laughs> um, it just that's the thought that came to me. So I don't have a lot of depth, you know, to follow through with it, but just that I see so many people, you know, whether or not they're part of the Black Lives Matter movement or whether they are not, um, they're just working in their community. I see so many people working towards, um, I don't think you can ever completely overcome racism. So, I don't think you can ever defeat it. I think it'll always exist forever um, in some form or, uh, or capacity. So I don't wanna say that I see people working to completely like overcome it or defeat it. I don't think that's possible, but I see so many people striving to uproot it. And I guess, you know, I think of myself as 
a hopeful person. I always see the glass like, you know, half full. I'm an optimist. So I don't want to, although I agree with what is it, Brianna said about the systems, I just look at all of the work that's being done currently and has been done for years and people striving towards justice and civil rights. And I, I want there, I guess I want to acknowledge that. I want there to be a place where I can acknowledge that in the conversation. And I feel that just, you know, America is a racist country, point blank. To me, it just feels a little, I don't know, it, defeatist. I don't know. So I don't have the right language, I guess, for it. But I want there to be a place to acknowledge the uh, the battle to overcome, although I know ultimately you can never fully overcome something that's not only in systems, but ultimately also a part of people's hearts and souls. All right, next question. Uh, a lot of critics of President Obama say that during his administration, he sowed racial division in this country. Do you agree with that statement or that premise? I don't agree with that premise. Racial division was already present in our country. Uh, and I think people used President Obama as a scapegoat to point to the, uh, the emphasis that the division came to light with um, media and then having a black president and um, how it empowered black people to be more outspoken, which in turn angered white people. So the division was already there. I agree with that, that it just exposed, exposed to white people that racism was still alive in America. It also triggered a lot of racism in white people that was already there. Just by him being black and running for president, a bunch of racist white people came out of the woodworks calling him a monkey and all these different things and going crazy, but they were already racist. And honestly, the critics that are saying he sold racial division aren't probably even talking about all the racist attacks that were fueled at Obama but I just wanted to raise that. I couldn't agree more. And I would also um, propose that it gave a lot of individuals the right to say, well, racism in America has finally ended because we had a black president, which then further fueled and gave those systems an ability to say, well, here are all the ways that he's wrong. You're just gonna bring up that he was the first black president. So echoing what everyone else said. I think too, Chris, that the 28, 2008 and 2012 elections really gave uh, a lot more credence to uh, the acknowledgement that racial progression was something that was still needed. And I think that a lot of people that pegged that on him, similar as uh, the other panelists have already shared, um, if you disrupt the status quo in any sense, you're gonna get flagged, but I think the big problem in the country is that um, as we become more connected socially, we become more linear and less dimensional in our perception of information. And so we don't look at facts in a way that paints the big picture. We paint what picture we want. And I think that that's really a big, a big part of the problem. And I'm sure we'll talk more about the numbers 
but the numbers really tell the story. All right. Well, uh, now we're going to get into partisanship in America. Um, who here describes themselves as a Democrat? Not that you vote with them most of the time, but you're saying I'm a Democrat. Oh, well, they can't. They have to say something. Yeah. They raise their hands. It doesn't. <laughs> Nothing help with a podcast. That is true. I, myself, Terrell, um, describe myself as a Democrat. Okay, so I, Chris Davis, um, I'd identify probably, the, the best term is probably a social Democrat. So that's someone who's maybe to the left, uh, the, to the left of the mainstream Democratic Party, especially on things like economic policy, for instance. I'd say the same thing. Uh, Democratic Socialist, I think, is what they say now. Uh, there's so many terms, but uh, I would identify as that. Yeah, I would say I would identify as a Democrat mostly because it's the only language that I'm really allowed to actively participate in. But um, otherwise, I'm definitely like a socialist or an anarchist, like at heart. But I'm a Democrat. Yeah, um, I would initially say that I'm, I would be a Democrat, although I don't consider it part of my identity the way that I do being a Black woman. I just consider it more of a pragmatic approach, like of the two parties that we have, I'm always going to go Democrat over Republican. It's not the ideal, but it's closer to the ideal that I strive for. Um, I don't know the exact, uh, what exactly is entailed in being a Democratic Socialist, but that sounds more like what I would identify as, as far as like, especially my economic like policies. Okay. Uh, who here describes himself as an independent? I know I do. I, I do as well, Chris, and we talked some about that. But uh, as a traditional conservative voter, over the last 10 to 12 years, I've definitely started to shift uh, in the way that I vote and that do the majority to the shift in parties that what is being called conservatism today is not. And uh, we just have a, a big challenge there. So as politics redefine themselves, I find myself very independent. I'm also a Capricorn, so we don't like being told who we are and what to do. <laughs> and last but not least, who here describes himself as a Republican? That would be me. I think I am the lone Black Republican on the panel. Social conservative, Black Republican. Christian first, above political party, but yes. All right. Uh, this can be for everyone because it's not just a um, these next two questions are not solely for, you know, black conservatives or black liberals. But when you hear the word conservative nowadays, describe that in three words or less. So it just be synonyms that you would throw with conservatives. Um, for me, I will come to my mind is probably traditionalists usually. Sell out, compromised, problematic. 
didn't you say you identify as conservative? No, formally, very much so. And over the last decade and some change, more independent. Oh, okay. Sorry. I missed that. My bad. I was like, dang. <laughs> I think for me, when I hear the word conservative, I think of the illusion of Christianity. I would say manipulated. I was going to say... Sorry, myopic in terms of like focusing on like one small part of the picture instead of the entire picture. Yeah, I was gonna say white, racist, and mediocre. What was the last word? Mediocre. Christina, I give the floor to you. <laughs> Just listening to everybody else. Um, I would say loyal. I would say tough. And I would say sincere. These are the conservatives that I know. Okay. And I think I'm probably also describing a little bit about how I see myself too in society. Okay. All right. And then uh, three words or less. What do you think when you hear liberal? Broad. Uh, misconstrued, misunderstood. I think a lot of times now uh, when we define people based on one thing that we know about how they vote or one thing that they have a problem with, we label them as liberal. And if people looked at my actual voting record, I'm very far from a liberal. I'm just intolerant of the intolerance that we're seeing coming out of conservative camps today. I think I would echo what Dexter shared and say broad, misconstrued, and loss. And if I need to explain that last point, someone can ask. Yeah, I like I like those words. I was having trouble coming up with one, but I think cop out comes to mind and white. I think humanistic, more humanistic than maybe oops, uh, rival party. I think I would say um, diverse, uh, empathetic, and Mm, I can't say it in one word. Can I use a, a small phrase? Um, it would be good intentions, but not always the best 
um, choices. That was a very long phrase, but I'm rolling with it. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my words. So I'll just follow Brittany. Empathetic was one of mine, um, but also just that makes sense because it's kind of the opposite, but I would say intolerant as well and misguided, but well-intentioned sometimes. Um, I'll, you know what? I'll use a different, I'll, I'll come with a, I'll use a different one. Um, caddy, um, <laughs> sometimes, uh, I'm online a lot and there's just, I'll, I'll go into it a little bit more later, but <sighs> there's so much infighting amongst the left all the time, all day, every day. So I think of, um, I I'll go with, uh, I'll go with caddy and petty because that, that is definitely a thing amongst, um, Amongst liberals, uh, often. Okay. So we've got my litmus test questions out of the way. Um, so now I will uh, give the floor to each of you to sort of introduce yourselves so our listeners will be able to uh, put voices with names. And as we really get into the meat of these discussions, they'll know who is saying what. So I'm going to go based on my screen. Uh, well, I'll let Chris go first since he's a co-host and then I'll go by screen. Okay. All right. Well, most people listening probably know who I am. Um, Chris Davis, 26-year-old uh, black male, as I mentioned before. I identify as a social democrat, so... You know, I'm, I would consider myself like a lefty. Um, I love someone like, say, Bernie Sanders, supported him both in 2016 and in 2020. Um, politically, um, I was always definitely like on the Democratic side. My family was always very heavily Democratic, loved Obama. Obama was the first person I voted for in 2012. And then in college, slowly started to have more of my political awakening where I realized that some of the things as far in like, say like mainstream liberalism or mainstream democratic politics, I don't, I don't think, um, went far enough for the change I like to see, uh, in the United States. So that kind of pushed me to where I am now. Um, nowadays, very heavy into, sort of modern electoral politics. I like to keep eyes on not just like things like the presidential primaries, but also a lot of uh, congressional races and Senate races. I think um, there's a lot of fascinating things going on in the country as far as that is um, concerned. So yeah, Chris, is that uh, kind of everything you were looking for? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. Terrell. Hey y'all, my name is Terrell Couch. I am also a black male, 25, turning 26 this year. Um, grew up in Michigan, moved to Boise, Idaho for a job after a brief stint in Kentucky. Um, and I, I personally struggle to say what I identify perfectly in the Democratic Party because it has become such a big tent. I know that I don't identify as a, a liberal in its current sense. Um, because I don't agree with Bernie Sanders and a lot of his policies, but um, I also don't 
completely agree with uh, Nancy Pelosi and where she falls as she gets a little closer to the center. Um, before 2016, I would have identified myself as a progressive in the Teddy Roosevelt sense, um, the group that was looking for corruption and government corruption and big business and using the tools of government to ensure that everyone had an equal shake. So that's partially why I've always supported Elizabeth Warren. That's also why I voted for Hillary Clinton. Um, I think that hits, hits everything. Thank you. Next we have Sarah. My name is Sarah. My pronouns are they, them. I am a trans femme queer, also practice polyamory, um, just to talk a little bit about my intersectional identities. I'm black, but biracial, so light skin. Um, politics wise, um, I come from the standpoint of like the personal is political and Terrell and I go back and forth on this, but I don't really get into politics as far as like the ins and outs of the government and how it works. I just, I live my life on an individual and communal level and practice politics there. Um, but I always vote and I always just vote Democrat. Um, I caucused for Bernie and voted for Hillary, um, voted for Obama in the 2012 election. Um, did I answer the question? I don't know. Yeah, I think you hit the... Okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> Next, we have Dexter. Yes. Uh, so I am the president of DFC Enterprises, which is a clearinghouse for my consulting business, as well as some other uh, nonprofit efforts that we do. Um, also, president of the Black Coalition, which is a policy think tank for African American values. I uh, also have a history in Christian ministry where I've traveled the world as a speaker and had the privilege of speaking in 20 countries and the majority of the United States. Um, I would say that I've always been somewhat of a closeted liberal thinker uh, where, you know, I was voting red, but I was, you know, at home reading Dreams of My Father and Audacity of Hope and, you know, fanning out over Obama and that kind of thing. And... As I began to grow uh, in college, I was student government president and uh, did a lot with political groups. I worked for Mary Fallon, former governor of Oklahoma, uh, also worked for Senator Carl Levin, senior senator, uh, Democratic uh, senator from Michigan. And so as I began to involve myself in the political space and landscape, working with uh, voices always in different bipartisan spaces, I just began to kind of find myself in identity politics more. And I realized quickly that I didn't want to become a politician. And that really helped me find my voice as a person and my identity just as a human being, uh, not with any kind of layer or lens on it. And as I began to be more honest with myself, um, I just realized the only way to vote is, is for the people. And if you're not uh, using that as a lens, you start to really make poor decisions. And uh, so today, in the work that we're doing with the coalition, uh, primarily our efforts there are building out policy recommendations for African-American communities. And so we work with 
uh, whites, we work with blacks and every race in between. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. We also have a very wide political spectrum. Our vice president, David Walker, is a very traditional conservative. And he and I have been friends since we were kids. And uh, he led the youth movement for uh, Christians United for Israel, very intertwined in that movement. And uh, we were just talking recently about our differences in political uh, beliefs. That really is our strength. And um, so I'm huge on bipartisan work and that kind of communication. I think we need more of it uh, to be successful. All right, thank you, Dex. Next we have Brianna. Hey everybody, uh, my name is Brianna Payton. I am originally from Detroit, Michigan. Grew up in a suburb just outside of Detroit called Farmington Hills. Um, grew up in church. Um, that's actually where I know Chris from, Chris Butler. Um, and that is where I kind of first got my political education, so to speak. I was under a black pastor, but who was like, I'm pretty sure he's Republican. And so, you know, kind of, raised with traditional Christian politics, you know, got to stop the gay agenda, can't allow abortion. These are the things that matter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, went to college and um, became kind of radicalized as far as my identity as a black woman and just understanding uh, social inequality, social structures, uh, systemic and institutional racism and things of that nature. And that uh, over time became and I, and I also learned about that through the lens of my faith and, and how God cares about justice and pleading the cause of the oppressed. And so that became my North Star as far as my politics. And I started to think about things through the lens of, um, first of all, what, what's good for Black people, uh, especially Black poor people who always get the short end of the stick in this country, um, and also, and, and who are so economically dispossessed and oppressed and like, ne we need to have our basics, um, which a lot of Republican, a lot of Republican policies don't support people having the basics they need to live. And so I just can never align myself with that um, again. And I also, even um, with some of the hot button issues that I was raised to prioritize in the church, I feel like I've come to understand them through a different lens of like, through a more liberal lens of like letting people live their lives. Like I can be Christian, I can believe what I believe, I can live how I wanna live, but like it, it recognizing that I can't force someone else to live that way and like drawing a line there. Um, and so, yeah, I'm very much, you know, I will, I'm always gonna vote Democrat um, for the most part, as far as I can think of, unless God himself tells me you need to vote this, this way on this particular ballot or, or anything, but in general, Democrat. Um, I wasn't old enough to vote for Obama either of the times, unfortunately. I just missed it. I was 17 in 2016, in, not 2016. I was 17, I don't know, 2012. That's when I was 17. Um, and then um, with the election between Hillary and um, what, Trump? That's how we got here. Okay, yeah, Trump. Um, I was under the tutelage of like professors at Princeton, that's where I went to undergrad and like majored in sociology and learned in African-American studies and learned all the stuff I learned um, and got kind of involved in like organizing and activism there. I was under the tutelage of like a very radical kind of academic approach to things. And so I was very much encouraged. You know, I had professors saying, you know, do a protest vote. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, so, so radical that it's not always practical. And so 
Um, I think I've, I didn't want to vote for Hillary because of her role in the war in the war on drugs and the crime bill. So I think I voted for like a third party black woman or something. Um, but I will not do that again. And I will not advocate for doing that this fall. We need to get Trump out. <laughs> Thankfully, I did it in a state that I knew was blue. That's the idea of the protest vote, like doing it where it won't matter. But I don't think we should take any chances because look what happened. <laughs> yeah, that protest vote definitely didn't do anything in Michigan. Um, anyway, uh, next we have uh, in New Jersey. Don't put that on me. Next we have Christina. Oh, you're still muted. Sorry. My name is Christina Bennett. I am about to be 39 uh, in 10 days or so. I live in Connecticut. I am married. I've been married for six years. I have a stepdaughter who's 15, and I have a baby boy that I'm fostering. Um, hopefully, on the way to adopting once the courts open up. Uh, and we got him when he was just first born. So he's about, I think I said that maybe six months old. I live in a very liberal state and I come from a family of all Democrats and I really didn't have much of an interest in politics growing up. I, it wasn't something that was really talked about in my family or even really at church. I also moved around a lot. First grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade was in different schools. So I, I don't even think I had time to think about politics. I was just trying to you know, deal with my parents' divorce and everything. But when I, I became a Christian and when I was in college, somebody approached me at church and said, God wants you to know something remarkable happened before you were born around that time. And so I asked my mom if anything remarkable had happened and she told me that she met an angel before I was born and didn't want to talk about it, which I thought was super, super weird. <laughs> she never said anything like that before, but she was serious and she didn't want to talk about it. So I left it alone. And um, I approached her a couple months later and I said, could you please tell me what you meant by that? And she told me that she was minutes away from aborting me in the hospital, in her hospital gown, an African-American woman, a janitor approached her saw her crying in the hallway, looked at her and said, do you want to have your baby? And when my mom said yes, even though she'd paid for the abortion already, when she said yes, the woman said, God will give you the strength to have this baby. And even though she went into the doctor's room, he yelled at her, there was blood on the floor, it was very dramatic. He told her that it was too late, she already paid for it. She ran out of the room. She told my dad that she didn't go through with it. They got married, they got divorced a year later, and she promised herself that she would never tell anyone and she wasn't going to ever tell anyone. But then when I approached her, she told me and I didn't have any opinion on abortion. I didn't think about it, I didn't care. But I felt that God spoke to my heart and said, Christina, I wanted you, I wanted you. And if I wanted you, how do you think I feel about the others? I had no idea what that meant, who the others were. But to make a long story short, I just began to go on a journey talking to women who had abortions, learning about it, researching it. And I got involved in prayer movements. And eventually I felt God was calling me to join the Republican Party to 
work with them, to work with those who are willing to work with me uh, to help save lives, like that janitor saved my life. And I was very afraid to do that because my family's, they're all Democrats. And I thought, well, geez, you know, here goes my black card, any black card that I had, you know, I might as well just throw it away now. I did, definitely did not want to do that, but I did it. And uh, I didn't vote for Obama. I made a covenant with God that I wouldn't vote for someone that supported abortion, which I see as a, a great human rights violation. And when it came to President Trump, I decided I was going to vote uh, either third party or do a write-in. I didn't want to vote for him. And I really wrestled with it, and I wrestled with it. And ultimately, it came down to the Hyde Amendment, which if people know or don't know, it, it protects you know federal funds from going towards abortions. And before the Hyde Amendment, there was maybe 300,000 children uh, that were aborted through uh, a year, 300,000 through taxpayer dollars. And I was, I didn't want to see that happen. I didn't want the Hyde Amendment to be removed. I didn't want women to be coerced like my mom. And so I voted for President Trump. And then over time, I don't even really know how it happened. Just one connection led to the next connection. And now I serve as a co-chair for a pro-life coalition called the Pro-Life Voices for Trump. And I'm voting for him again in November. And I am an exposed, you know, unashamed, out there Republican conservative. And I say that because when I decided first to vote for President Trump, I wasn't going to tell anybody. I thought I would just keep it quiet and um, save my reputation. And then I figured, you know what? I almost died. <laughs> I was almost dismembered and thrown into a trash can. So at the end of the day, what does it really matter what human beings think of me? I'm just going to do me. I'm going to do what I feel like God's called me to do and let people say what they're going to say. I got one life and then I go back to meet God. And if, you know, uh, if I'm doing what I feel like I'm supposed to do, then it doesn't matter what people think. So that's pretty much uh, how I live my life. And it is not easy, but for me, it's worth it because the work that I do um, and I have done working at a pregnancy center for four years, working with women, uh, considering abortion, helping them get material resources, being a foster mom now, uh, seeing lives change. For me, it's, it makes it all worth it. All right, next we have Brittany. All right, uh, my name is Brittany. I actually grew up in Oklahoma. So when I heard the name Governor Mary Fallon, uh, I recognize that name and I know it very well. Um, I grew up in a home that was church going. I think a lot of uh, black American black Americans experience that. Um, we didn't really talk about politics too much in my household. I felt like we leaned towards Democrat. That's about all I knew. Um, throughout college, I wasn't too concerned about politics, to be honest. It wasn't until after college and uh, I don't know, reading things and learning more about the world and how our politics work that I got more involved in that. Um, I think the 2016 uh, election definitely awakened something in me to pay a lot more attention to politics as I did, as it did for a bunch of people. Um, I never really thought about politics at all until that time. Um, I did not vote for Trump. I leaned towards 
um, Hillary Clinton. Oh, well, I took one of those politics tests that said Bernie Sanders, but I voted for uh, Hillary Clinton. And then um, this election, I was leaning towards Elizabeth Warren. Uh, that was kind of my, the person I was rooting for. Obviously that's not an option currently. I'm definitely voting for Joe Biden this year um, because like someone else said, we have to get Trump out of office in my opinion. Um, I think one of the main reasons I didn't care too much about politics growing up was because I grew up in a very red state and it seemed like any vote I made would not matter. Um, Oklahoma is one of the reddest states probably in the United States and it's very hard to make a difference there or feel like my vote matters. I def definitely, definitely feel like I have more power here in Michigan and um, definitely think my vote counts now. Hopefully I covered all the topics that I needed to. Thank you, Brittany. And next we have Lawrence. Uh, hello, everyone. Sorry, uh, coming to the party late, but this already sounds like a really good discussion. I'm Lawrence Williams. I'm born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Um, I got involved in politics in the ninth grade. So that had to be, what, 2008? 2008, yeah. The, the primary election between Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton was running against each other. So 2008. Uh, I got involved around that time um, just out of curiosity. Obviously, a lot of folks in my neighborhood were voting for Obama. And I'm like, well, why are we voting for the losing side? Because I genuinely believe that a black man could not be president of the United States. And uh, I just started to deep dive into that. And then eventually, uh, that just led me into politics. Uh, so I live in Grand Rapids now. Uh, I work full time. I coach high school debate. Um, I own my own consulting firm. I do podcasts and I do music. So basically anything that keeps me busy and off the couch is <laughs> something that I like to do. Um, this uh, year, um, definitely voting for Joe Biden. I definitely lean uh, a little bit left of center. Um, but if you ask Terrell, um, he'll tell you that I'm a closet Republican. Um, I'm throwing shade on Terrell. Yes, I am. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, but really, it just depends on the issue. I think you got to look at things down the middle. And I like what I just really likes with uh, I like what makes sense. Um, and it doesn't matter which side uh, it comes from. I think each side can be definitely wrong on a whole lot of issues. Um, but whatever makes sense, um, whatever is good. I think that's what I'm for. So. All right, thank you, Lawrence. And um, as the moderator, I am a fierce independent. Um, I grew up in church. Uh, I am a PK, uh, PN, pastor's nephew, grandson, cousin, brother. It's all over. Um, so I, I drew, grew up in a traditional Christian household. And uh, my uncle actually ran for Senate as a Republican in 2006 uh, in, in the primary. Um, uh, I noticed a shift, at least in my household, when President Obama ran um, for president, and not just for him being the Democratic nominee, but how um, Fox News and other conservative outlets treated him, sort of made a shift in my household. Um, and I know as I got over, especially towards the 2012 election, um, my uh, high school ran, uh, one of the alumni of my high school was Mitt Romney. So that was interesting being involved in like, oh, well, 
um, seeing the split there. Cause I remember they asked a bunch of people like, Oh, well, how do you feel about this? And as like a 17 year old, I was like, I care as being in model UN, but I, I'm, I'm not voting for another like year. So I'll get there. Um, and then in, in college, I was an international relations major. So having the sort of worldview of different issues like economics and, um, all in social justice sort of shifted me from being traditional conservative to more being in, in the fierce independent role where, you know, I will see arguments on both sides and I will agree with whatever one does right by the most amount of people. Uh, these past four years, it has not been Republicans. Um, so that's where I stand. So now that we have that underway, we're going to jump right deep into it. Um, for, for everyone, how do you feel that your party fails or doesn't properly serve Black people? Whoever wants to take that first. Well, I guess I'll go. Uh, I've been a voting Democrat um, ever since I could vote. Um, I did vote for Republican one time, and I was proud of that vote. I ain't gonna lie. I was proud. Um, but, of course, in the next election, I didn't uh, vote for him at all. But uh, I don't know. I think uh, the Democratic Party definitely has its challenges. Uh, challenges is a soft word. I think it has its problems, its issues with helping Black people. Um, I think there's no doubt in my mind that here it is, minorities, just as a collective group, but I understand why collectively minorities flock to the Democratic Party. Um, but as a collective group, the Democratic Party has been the place for minorities. And some of these same changes, for instance, that we're out marching on the streets for right now, uh, continue to exist. And it seems like, you know, after so many years of voting for Democrats in office that um, is, that really shouldn't be the case. Um, but with that said, I think um, most minorities, and I, I hate to speak for all of us, and I don't want to speak for all of us, but I think most minorities do have that uh, sort of conservative bent. I think, uh, at, at least at my Thanksgiving table, you would think a lot of us are just the most, you know, hardcore conservatives, um, but we refuse to vote for the Republican Party, not because um, we're not conservative, um, but because there's, I, I don't feel like that people of color are accepted in the Republican Party. And so they really fight um, in the Democratic Party to be accepted, to get that seat at the table, to hold that position of power, uh, at least that institution of power in the Democratic Party. And then that's why. But I think um, it, we can go back to, to uh, my man Bill um, with his 94 crime bill. Um, we could go back to uh, many other, right? My, my girl Hillary with her super predator comment. Um, there's a lot of Democrats who have done things on the behalf of black people that have actually hurt black people in the long run. And we see that every single time um, that we have, especially we got the George Floyd protest, we got the Breonna Taylor protest, everybody's out in the street doing what they need to do. And I, I love it. I'm excited about it. Um, but I am not optimistic about it because the simple fact is white people are going to be at the table making the decisions. And in 20 years, 
we still gonna be getting shot and killed in the street by police officers. Then we're gonna be out marching again with another hashtag and a t-shirt trying to figure out how do we get here and how can we change course? Um, so I think it's, it's, it's about us really taking charge for ourselves as people of color and not relying on, on those. But I think that's definitely one way the Democratic Party has just failed. Uh, at first, it was just about accepting them to, for their vote. Now it's just about making them happy to keep their vote. And we got to change that. Or otherwise, I think uh, it's not going to go well for the, the Democratic Party. But the Republican Party doesn't seem to be waking up anytime soon. So they've got time. But eventually, we're going to have to do something different. I would piggyback off of Lawrence's point a little bit and touch on um, one of the questions in the litmus test. Racism is soaked into the soil of this country. So I think before we can speak to how each party failed, we have to recognize that the systems and institutions that they're working on have already failed us and they're just functioning and operating in that space. So when I think about the Democratic Party, to which I subscribe, um, very similar to the points that Lawrence mentioned, they do a lot of the things that they think will uh, um, make it across the finish line and get that signature on the oval or um, on the resolute desk. But they don't necessarily have the conversations leading into it that ensure that whatever that finish line goal is, it does all the work that they were hoping for. So I, specific to the Democratic Party, I think there's a lot of optics and ability to show our diversity, our ability to have people in leadership positions, to have people um, around the table, but I'm not certain how many of them truly get to be in the table. I say that with the caveat of this current Congress where I do feel that a lot of those issues and those points had finally started to be addressed. There were uh, people of color at the table having the hard conversation about why the Voting Rights Act needed to be uh, not only buffed up, but revamped for the modern age so that everyone had the right to vote. There were people of color at the table talking about why the 94 crime bill did so much damage and why we needed the First Step Act, even though it had its own issues. But because the, of that, that analogy I started with of um, the soil and the ability for anything that grows out of that soil to still have a little bit of taint to it, uh, you see a lot of those efforts get stalled because the Senate is... Um, ran by a different party and that conversation wasn't there even with the first act bill making it all the way through and Cory Booker being able to kind of champion his ability to have bipartisanship you see a lot of issues coming out of that bill already where you're seeing individuals who were um, released due to his passage get um, reinstitutionalized because of different caveats and different things that um, they didn't put consideration to so that's how I feel not only the Democratic Party has failed uh, people of color, but I, I genuinely feel the system itself has failed. I would yeah, like, I just, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say echoing uh, Lawrence and Terrell, um, my immediate response to how is the Democrat, like how I am part of the Democratic Party, how that party has failed black people, people of color is the same answer of like how capitalism fails us, how the system, how the society we live in feels us like it was never for us in the first place um, since we were colonized and um, put on this land. And so to critique a system that was never built for us and like, how could it not be? It's not, it was never meant to work for us in the first place. And so um, it's kind of why I put my efforts into community organizing and grassroots organizing, like us as black people are powerful and 
have a lot of ancestral wisdom. And I think the more that we can um, tap into our own communities and um, rely on each other instead of uh, the government, um, we can make some real radical change. Um, I just don't, there's like Lawrence was saying, 20 years from now, black people are still gonna be shot in the street. Um, unless black people band together and decide that they've had enough um, and have the capacity and energy and support to do so, um, which that's a whole other story. Um, I realize it's not as simple as us just like banding together because of society keeps us um, siloed and apart from each other. Um, I just went on a tangent or a long uh, side note or something. I don't know. But all that to say, um, politics for me, the government, the structure, it needs to be completely torn down and reframed and um, built with people of color in mind for people of color. Um, and so that's a long journey and I'm not even going to try to do it. So I'll stay community organizing. All right. Uh, we'll go Dexter and then I think Christina wanted to I'll try to be as brief as possible, but I agree that we do have layered issues in this country. Um, I'm a pro-life independent, but I'm pro-life period. So I'm pro-life where I don't, I don't, I don't think that abortion should be uh, one of the choices that we make available as you know primary uh, means of woman's choice. However, I, I respect a woman's choice to make her decision. But I've gone to the abortion clinics and worn the tape, you know, done all of that, and still been with those same people who refuse to speak out on black injustice. So I think that we have a catch-22 in terms of conservatives saying that they are pro-life, but they're not pro-black life that's already here. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, how can you uh, love a God that you can't see and you don't even love your brother that you can see? And so I think that we have a dilemma there. Uh, however, I believe that on the Democratic side, we have similar challenges as well, where we have tokenism, people that don't actually respect our voice. Um, I think that we really need to step up and begin to possess the vote. I was with an entrepreneur yesterday, very successful individual, <clears throat> and he was convinced at 57 that his voice does not matter, his vote does not matter. And I think that we have a huge regression and black voting uh, that we saw in 2016 where we dropped six percentage points in terms of the black vote. That cannot continue to happen. We need to increase and galvanize those numbers. And I think that we need more working across the aisle on humane voting for black people. Uh, Christina has always been very kind to me. We vary on our beliefs on some things, but there's more things that we will agree on. Uh, a lot of times as you know, people on this spectrum between liberal and conservative, that if we can come together on some of those things, we can get some things done. But um, this Dixiecrat Republicanism that's emerging, um, where we have a president, a sitting president, uh, releasing blatant threats and dog whistling and endorsing white supremacists, people that will do damage and have killed people uh, that stand out for uh, the right side of social justice, that is a massive problem. And so I said something recently that uh, in this election, we don't have the option to vote our preference. We have to vote survival. And so this is not a matter of us uh, voting on things that are 
hopeful things that we want to happen. You know, I'm hopeful that some great things will come out of this presidency and we will see some benchmarks that benefit the black community. But at large, this man is a detriment to our democracy and this has nothing to do with politics. This has to do with democracy. All right, uh, before uh, Christina, you, you go, uh, I just want to touch on what Dexter was saying in terms of dropping six percentage points. So in 2008, uh, the black vote turnout was 65 percent. Uh, in 2012, it was 64 percent. And in 2016, it was 59 percent. So that's where uh, the drop came in. But notably, um, even though it was at 59% in 2016, it was still higher than Asian American voter turnout, which was at 49% and Hispanic uh, American voter turnout, which is at 47%. So historically, um, black voter turnout is within, you know, a few percentage points of whites, but still, you know, 10 to 20% higher than, or 10 to 15% higher than um, other ethnic groups in America. So just to follow up, you know, what Dexter was talking about, I, you know, I personally don't have an issue with people making abortion one of their primary focuses, obviously, because I, I see the perspective of if you don't survive, if you don't make it out of the womb, then you don't have the ability to gain any other right. So if I was thrown into a trash can as an unborn child, you know, what does it matter if, you know, someone fought for me to have the right to go to school or to marry? I can't attain any of those rights because I I don't exist. I've been dismembered. So I understand that narrow focus, but at the same time, you know, where do we fail as the Republican Party? And primarily the abortion issue is my focus, so I can talk about that. If you look at some of the Republican states that are very anti-abortion, they are also the same states where they have horrible issues with infant mortality and maternal mortality. They're also some of the Southern states where they are voting against WIC, they're voting against SNAP, they're voting against healthcare, they're voting against social services. So why are women choosing to have abortions? Well, the number one reason is finances. They don't have housing and they're getting pressure from their partners or their parents and they don't have resources. And so that's a big, huge blind spot in our party for us to advocate for life, but then not be willing to support the social services that people need in order for them to have a life and sustain the life of their children. In addition, and this is not my area of expertise, but I just can throw it out there. Something I've seen even recently is that, you know, a lot of Republicans were really strong on Second Amendment rights, but then something happens like the Breonna Taylor situation and, you know, there's no Second Amendment rights for Kenneth Walker. Like, where are his Second Amendment rights? Like, does he have a right to self-defense or no? Because <laughs> we're talking about Second Amendment rights all the time, but then his goes out the window, but then Kyle over here, this young guy, you know, he shoots two people and, you know, you see conservatives raising thousands of dollars for him. So it that doesn't make any sense. Um, I'll also say that one of the issues I find being a black Republican is that 
there are certain voices that are really accepted and you have to, there's a pressure. You don't have to, you don't have to, but there's a pressure to just maybe say talking points or, you know, like whatever a black person did, he's guilty somehow. <laughs> Let's bring up his past. Let's find out what he did in the fifth grade and the sixth grade and put it on the internet. Um, you know, if he, if he got, if he was involved in police brutality, it's, you know, let's find a way to put the blame on him. And if you reject those kind of talking points, and if you show empathy and understanding, there are some people, not everyone who will call you a liberal and who will say that, you know, you're, uh, a lot of conservatives say things like, facts over feelings, facts over feelings. But what I say is that nobody cares about your facts if they think that you hate them and um, and you're hurting their feelings all the time. They don't care about your statistics. They don't care about your facts. They really do not care. And so we can be really heavy on, and I, I'm like, I'm guilty of this too, even with abortion. Abortion is the number one cause of death in the black community. Well, guess what? Like the mom who's getting an abortion, she's trying to survive and she does not care about my graphics and my statistics. You know, she wants to, she just wants to make it, you know, to the next day. So I think we can, we have a loss of empathy. We, um, there's pride, there's arrogance, there's uh, a desire to believe that we are in a post-racial society, especially after Obama. Well, we had a black president, so what else is there, you know? Even growing up in Connecticut, which is, a very white state, you know, I always grew up with, what do you want? You guys have BET. What if we had WET? I mean, just stupid, stupid, stupid things like that. Just stupid. Um, you have HBCUs. What if we had white colleges? I mean, and I grew up hearing this stuff and I still hear it today. And it's still a part of the mentality that some conservatives have. They're just not willing um, to look at certain things. And so, I mean, Obviously, there's a lot, you know, so I, I, could, I could go on and on, but I won't. Um, but there's a lot of soul searching that we need to do, and we don't have by any means a perfect party. But I myself, um, I'm not in church. I'm not in America. I'm not in my marriage. I'm not in a party because it's perfect. I, I go into everything just seeing how I can bring reform and change. And otherwise I, I wouldn't be a part of any institution. All right. Um, Bree asked in our Zoom chat, so for our, our listeners and watchers, um, what were the uh, percentage points for white voters? In 2008, they were at 66%. Um, in 2012, they were at 66% just slightly higher, 66.1 in 2008, 66.6 in 2012. And in 2016, they were at 65.3%. Um, Chris, um, so, yeah. do you mind if I answer? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, yeah, so uh, really quick. So um, when it comes to the Democratic Party and race, I mean, a lot of you guys have definitely echoed what I believe where you know, our our systems are so inherently racist that you're going to find racism wherever you go, no matter what party you're in. My issue, um, and we've talked about things like the crime bill, but my issue with uh, the Democratic Party specifically is that I feel like, and when I talk about the Democratic Party, I'm mainly talking about 
Democratic politicians, the Democratic machine. There is such a heavy focus, in my opinion, when it comes to race on symbolism and feeling like things are better, as opposed to creating policy that's actually going to improve the material conditions of Black people. So the biggest example is like, after the George Floyd uh, murder, you had Nancy Pelosi and some of the other Democrats and Kente Kloss and, you know, you know, and, K- and Kente Kloss doing a photo shoot. And, you know, I guess probably in their minds, they're like, oh, well, this would be super nice. And this will show the African-American community that we're with them. But like, unless there's policy that comes beyond behind that, unless you're really trying to, okay, what are, are we going to, you know, reduce police budgets and put more money towards, you know, other services? Are we going to put money into education? Are we going to, you know, do certain measures that can help maybe bring crime down and things like that? Then, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. And, you know, there'll be so many things where, you know, they want to paint Black Lives Matter in every street and things of that nature. But my issue with the Democratic Party is that, I don't necessarily mind certain things like that. Like you want to take a statue down of someone who was a Confederate. Yeah, good. Go for it. But if there's not meaningful change after that, then that doesn't matter to me. And that's, I think, what I see a lot of times with the modern Democratic Party is that like there is quite a bit of pandering. And that's not to say that there aren't good policies or good bills that come from certain people. But when you look at overall... Um, you know, what concessions, you know, black people in America get, it's not always a lot. So, um, that's just one point I wanted to, uh, wanted to give. All right. You've just listened to part one of the Black Vote Podcast. Stay tuned for part two.